0: Welcome to Sci-Fi, the podcast for medical students and aspiring psychiatrists. Struggling with my addiction to the online game League of Legends, this is Jason, and I am a core psychiatry trainee at the Oxleys NHS Trust in London. Here again, we have the Magistrate of Mental Health, the Sultan of Schizophrenia, the Duke of Depression, the guy I invited again because all my friends always seem to be busy, give it up for
1: Mowlin! How long did it take you to come up with that? Anywho, I am a clinical teaching fellow in the east of England. What's on the agenda today boss man? Today we'll be covering depression.
0: Yep, a very suitable episode with all the Covid stuff going on. I've actually been thriving being an extreme introvert, but with all the deaths and quarantine and social isolation, I just really need to say f*** Covid. Also in case you didn't know, Mali shaved his head and he looks like a Belden now. <sighs>
1: Hard (laughs) though. we must move on.
0: Fine. Growing up, I'm sure you have friends who throw mental health terms around a lot, like, oh, my OCD is acting up again, or I'm so depressed. I haven't got a problem with hyperbole every now and then, but I think it's important to know that actual clinical depression has a more toy meaning.
1: Yeah, depression is a mood disorder that is characterized by three core symptoms. Low mood, low energy, and low pleasure, also called anhedonia.
0: Molly, that was your nickname in uni wasn't it? Low pleasure. And hedonic Amaralingam.
1: Hey, that's what she said. Wait, that doesn't work.
0: <laughs> that's what she said. That doesn't work. Hey.
1: <laughs> oh. So there are many other characteristic symptoms, but you usually need two of these three to make a diagnosis. And these symptoms normally need to be present for at least two weeks.
0: Though you could diagnose it pre two weeks, If there's an unusually severe or rapid onset. Now, I know some of you listeners might still be reeling from the lengthy psychotic episode we had. And we did too, which is why this episode was so delayed. (laughs) So this time, let's go straight into the clinical assessment. No bullshit.
1: Unlike the previous uh, topics of attempted suicide and psychosis, a majority of depression cases are dealt with in the community.
0: Right. Right. Patients with depression don't usually require inpatient admission, unless they are suicidal or so severely depressed that they are unable to care for themselves. How many mental health-related presentations do you come across in hospital?
1: Hmm, would say at least one every shift.
0: If you are a GP, then 40% of consultations in primary care will likely be mental health-related. So... Let's say you're a GP or a general practitioner, and a 20 to 40-year-old lady walks in complaining of feeling down for the past few months and not very much like themselves. How do you approach this?
1: Hmm. I'm assuming you said 20 to 40-year-old lady as depression is common in that age group and gender.
0: Yep, bingo. The female-to-male ratio for depression is 2 to 1. Maybe that's because males are more unwilling to talk about their feelings, or maybe females are more likely to face social stressors, but that's sort of the stats. Uh, They are also more likely to be between the ages of 20 to 40, which as you might expect, a fairly turbulent time in their lives. There's adapting to university or finding a job, relationship issues, people just hate being with them, premature erectile dysfunction.
1: (laughs) Is that from personal experience?
0: Uh, No comment. So... With depression, you have symptoms of thoughts, behavior, and feelings, along with biological symptoms as well. These are what you would explore in the history of presenting complaint. For the main symptoms, I remember them with the mnemonic MICE GAS. There are some other stuff you can pick up, but we'll discuss it in the Mental State Examination, or Hmm. MSE.
1: Hmm. So, M or Mood. The low mood from depression is very different from being sad or unhappy in both severity and pervasiveness across all aspects of life. Diurnal
0: variation is commonly present, where your mood is worse in the morning and gets better in the evenings.
1: I or interest refers to anhedonia, which is a loss of pleasure from pleasurable activities, which is one of the core symptoms. C is cognition which refers to issues with memory or concentration, and it can present as poverty of thought, reduced volume, monotonous voice, etc. The memory changes
0: can make depression difficult to tease out from dementia in old age psychiatry, also known as pseudodementia.
1: Right. E is for low energy.
0: Yep, and so that's MICE. And so the reason I've structured the mnemonic this way is that in the first acronym, MICE, you have three of the core symptoms. Mood interest and low energy next up is gasps
1: gasps. (laughs) g or guilt is something that may be seen this can be seen as self-blame or even worthlessness and hopelessness
0: a is for appetite which can be lost in some circumstances like atypical depression this may be reversed and people might end up eating a lot more and then and then this leads to weight gain S is for sleep, which is often disrupted. There may be insomnia, with early morning awakening being the most common. But, you know, this really depends on the person. Uh, but there's definitely a sleep disturbance. And in, likewise, in atypical depression, patients may oversleep rather than waking up early in the mornings.
1: Well, P is for psychomotor changes, such as physical and emotional slowing that may be seen. And finally, S is suicidal ideation which is always important to assess risk.
0: Yep. Also, if the depression is severe enough, psychotic symptoms such as delusions and hallucinations might be present as well.
1: Hmm. In severe depression, the delusions that patients have are mood congruent, involving stuff like guilt, poverty, hypochondriasis. This is where a patient is excessively worried about serious illness.
0: Mm-hmm. Cotard syndrome is a specific nihilistic delusion where you believe that you or your body parts are either dead, dying, or that you just don't exist. Hallucinations may also be present, such as auditory hallucinations that are accusatory, telling you that you ain't worth shit, that your premature erectile dysfunction is your fault, and that buying GameStop stock based on Reddit memes was a bad idea.
1: (sighs) Uh, listeners, please bear in mind that sci-fi takes no responsibility for money lost through online trading platforms. Ape together, strong, <laughs> whole stock, diamond hands, no paper hands. Hashtag WallStreetBets. Oh, God. Um, after HPC or history presenting complaint comes psychiatric history. Here, you may find that anxiety disorders and substance abuse might coexist with about half of patients with depression having anxiety and a quarter having substance misuse. Annoyingly, the presence of comorbid conditions can make depression more difficult to treat and you often tackle management of these simultaneously.
0: Mm -hmm. And as always, physical conditions, especially chronic illnesses, are shown to be strongly associated with mental health and depression is no different. More frequently, these physical symptoms may be medically unexplained or functional
1: symptoms. Yeah, somatization is a phenomenon where physical symptoms are manifested due to psychological distress, and this can commonly present with fatigue, weakness, headache, GI disturbances, pain or dizziness.
0: At some point, if you were a student, you would have probably experienced this prior to big exams, like headaches and stomach aches. So somatization is actually quite a common phenomenon.
1: Frequently, these physical symptoms may precede the mood or affective symptoms. So make sure you remember to get a timeline of these symptoms and the possible link to their depression. Yep, gotta get that timeline.
0: Next comes the drug and alcohol history. There are some drugs, like corticosteroids, that are associated with depressive symptoms. Therefore, it is always worth getting a good drug history, and perhaps considering the timing of starting certain meds and their relation to the onset of depressive symptoms.
1: Hmm. Then, like for most psychiatric conditions, family history is essential. Depression is an interplay between environmental and genetic factors, unlike the nature versus nature debate of, you know, yesteryears and the past.
0: Adoption studies show that children of parents with depression have a higher risk of depression even when raised by families that are sort of depression-free in essence. And similarly, genes or technically alleles such as the short and long or the SNL in the serotonin transporter gene have been implicated.
1: Hmm. I I guess what we're trying to say is explore if there's a family history of depression, self-harm, and attempted suicides.
0: Yep. It is also important to see if there are any vulnerability factors in their timeline that can predispose the person to depression. This can include an abusive upbringing, early separation from their mother, or death of a parent. You can also consider things like social isolation and unexplained physical symptoms in childhood.
1: It's a very sensitive topic, so sometimes they aren't willing to talk about it. Getting a collateral history or reading through the notes might be a suitable alternative.
0: Yep. And also, as per the structure, uh, always ask about forensic history and see if there's any.
1: After that, and lastly, it's the socials.
0: Like our Twitter link? Follow us at 5 podcasts on Twitter.
1: (laughs) Mate, that's a shameless plug.
0: (laughs) Whatever gets me them likes, or
1: is it tweets? I think it's chirps. You <laughs> so look out for recent social distresses. These may increase the risk of depression up to sixfold.
0: In essence, stuff like social isolation, unemployment, relationship breakdowns, physical illness, and substance misuse. Housing, social networks, employment status, as always, are important as well. So with moving on to the mental state examination, with the MSE, There are certain common traits in depressed people. Starting with appearance and behavior, depressed patients can be disheveled due to self-neglect, underweight due to loss of appetite, or are being tired because of the insomnia. During the consultation, they would have poor eye contact and rapport, or quite reserved and possibly not paying attention as much because of how muddled their thoughts are.
1: With speech, you may notice poverty of speech or perhaps a low volume or rate. Then, in mood and effect, there's the low mood, no shit, <laughs> and blunted affect or it may be fixed.
0: For thoughts, look out for the triad or Beck's triad of hopelessness, helplessness, and worthlessness. Thoughts of suicidality or self harm, as always, are key. And you have to rule out psychotic symptoms of delusions that tend to be of a guilty, persecutory,
1: or nihilistic nature. In perception, look out for hallucinations that may suggest psychotic depression. Then, as Jason mentioned earlier, with cognition, memory and concentration may be impaired. Yep, and the insight is usually preserved. Although we mentioned this before in the mnemonic, I cannot stress enough how important it is to find out about their risk of suicide or self-harm, as that would be a main factor in deciding admission as an inpatient.
0: Yep, and also look out for Beck's, Beck's cognitive triad of depression, we talked about that before, where the patient has negative views of themselves, so they feel worthless, negative views on the world, so they feel helpless, and negative views on the future, so they feel hopeless. On that note, there is an American psychologist called Martin Seligman who came up with a the theory of learned helplessness. And it seems that in the 60s, psychiatric breakthroughs seem to be code for, we are going to do some really fucked up shit.
1: Uh, how so?
0: So learned helplessness is the concept that when subjected enough times to inescapable terrible conditions, the subject will accept their powerlessness, and even when conditions change for the better, they give up on escaping. How he came across this is that he kept dogs on an electrified floor and shot them a few times over some days. And so later, when they opened the gates and gave the dogs a way out, they don't even try. So, you know, basically,
1: the Medical Foundation training program bought on animals. (laughs) Oh no, but that's really awful. Next thing you'll say is they gave malaria to patients.
0: (laughs) Yep, sadly, that is also true. And I think might be worth discussing in an episode on the history of psychiatry. Like, like, genuinely, there's been some real crazy shit in the past.
1: Now that we have the history, uh, MSE and physical examination, and perhaps a collateral history, it's time to come up with differentials. Ooh, before that,
0: I just want to say something about depression rating scales. So there are ones like the Hamilton Depression Rating Scale, or the HAM-D, that are completed by clinicians or ones completed by patients, such as the Patient Health Questionnaire 9 or PHQ 9 or the Beck's Depression Inventory. In either case, it's subjective criteria, and the emphasis on different symptoms have made it difficult to standardize, and the usefulness of them have been questioned. In any case, it's just good to know that depression rating skills exist, and if you are asked in the exams, are familiar with them.
1: Right, then with differentials, I would say the main categories would be organic causes, related psychiatric conditions, and common low mood problems that don't meet the criteria for clinical depression. Yep,
0: always exclude organic causes of depression first. Diagnostic
1: hierarchy, bitches. (laughs) Yep, which can include things like hormones, low cortisol, thyroid, and parathyroid brain tumours, head injury, and hyperactive delirium. Others, like dementia in old-age psychiatry, should be considered.
0: With psychiatric conditions, think about bipolar affective disorder. Here, look out for previous manic episodes as a way to differentiate this from typical depression. Uh, In the same vein, with other psychiatric conditions, also think about schizoaffective disorder, especially if the psychotic symptoms and the mood symptoms
1: are equally prevalent. Right. The common low mood problems can include adjustment disorder, bereavement, and dysthymia.
0: These conditions are described as sub-syndromal depression because they don't quite meet the criteria for a diagnosis of depression by presenting with similar symptoms of low mood and, and all the other sort of cognitive behavioral symptoms.
1: Hmm. In adjustment disorder, the low mood symptoms occur after a significant life event. The key is that the severity of symptoms do not reach the level of depression, and it is usually short-term dissipating after a few months or when that particular stressor has gone. With bereavement, it is normal to be sad after someone's passed away. Here, clinicians should watch out for abnormal grief reactions where the symptoms may either be more intense, more disabling, prolonged, or even delayed.
0: It's worth saying that despite the described stages of grief being denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance, bereavement is a very individual and personal experience.
1: Yeah, as a doctor, look for evidence that the patient is moving forwards no matter how slowly. But what if they are moving forwards towards a cliff? Ha! Loophole! Not literally, you
0: bonehead. Better than being a boner head, you d*** shape, mother******. Okay, okay, okay. Deep breaths, Molly. Deep (laughs) breaths, Jason. Back to the
1: podcast. Lastly, there is dysthymia, which is a chronic low mood, but it's not enough to call it depression. Sometimes
0: this can be superimposed onto clinical depression, and you get what is essentially super depression but the proper clinical term for it is double depression. Nanny? <laughs> Re- yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I would not wish that on my worst enemy, and it sounds extremely terrible, this you know, acute on chronic depression. Yep.
1: Yeah, so on to investigations. You should tailor these according to your differentials.
0: Common stuff to look out for would be thyroid function tests for hypothyroidism, anemia, the fatigue may sometimes appear like depression, and HbA1c to rule out diabetes, as chronic physical illnesses can lead to depression.
1: Yeah, and for imaging, the same rules apply. And a CT head or MRI head would be considered if you suspect a neurological organic cause. So you've diagnosed depression, what happens next? Well, before thinking about the biopsychosocial aspects of treatment, you should think about where the management should occur.
0: The, this decision of whether to manage as an inpatient or outpatient isn't an easy one. Things that would be in favour of admission would be suicidal ideation, like mentioned before, but also poor self-care, risk of malnutrition, and perhaps even facilitating respite for the patient or the family members taking care of them.
1: Hmm. The benefits of admission needs to be balanced with the stigma attached to it and potentially undermining a patient's ability to cope or even the risk of institutionalizing them.
0: Again, most patients would be managed in the community. I think that's the preferred option for everyone involved. Especially me, because that means less work.
1: (laughs) With mild to moderate depression, we don't usually jump straight to meds. So let's talk about the psychological therapies first. The ones to be aware of would be CBT, also called Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, Psychodynamic Psychotherapy, Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy or MBCT, Interpersonal Therapy, and Couple Therapy.
0: Yep, five psychological therapies... And we will try to briefly explain what they are.
1: Hmm. The core of CBT... You've heard this many times already, but just to remind you is the cognitive and the behavioral therapy side of things. It is based on the belief that thought distortions and maladaptive behaviors play a role in the development and maintenance of psychological disorders, and that symptoms and associated distress can be reduced by teaching new information processing skills and coping mechanisms.
0: Examples of that would be in a depressed person who might feel unloved. In this situation, we might challenge this belief through discussions where we find evidence that their family or friends do indeed care for them or behavioural experiments where they invite a friend to hang out to test this. It's a very action-oriented and goal-focused form of therapy where each session is around 30-60 minutes and ranging from 5 to 20 sessions max.
1: Is that what this podcast is, Jason? Maybe, but for whom? NET's Psychodynamic Psychotherapy. Psychodynamic psychotherapy is centered on the concept that some maladaptive functioning is in play and that this maladaption is at least in part unconscious. This tends to develop in early childhood and prevails throughout life, causing difficulties.
0: Psychodynamic therapies focus on revealing and resolving these unconscious conflicts that are driving their symptoms and is also very dependent on the patient-therapist relationship.
1: This is the typical idea of psychotherapy you see in the movies, where the patient lies on a couch and talks about their life experiences, right?
0: Yep, that's the one. And while it is not a treatment for acute depression, it may help selected patients subject to recurrent depression modify some predisposing factors and develop insight into preventing certain triggers or precipitating factors. Following on from that, we have MBCT, a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy.
1: MBCT was developed with the aim of preventing depressive relapses. It includes breathing exercises and meditation to help participants become more aware of the present moment and reduce depressive ruminations.
0: Yep, yeah, so it's a form of CBT+. Combining the concepts of CBT with mindfulness meditation. And now, interpersonal therapy.
1: Right, one of the components of depression is a disorder of interpersonal relationships.
0: Interpersonal therapy aims at symptom relief and a more effective approach to relationships. There is a focus on unresolved loss, psychosocial transitions, relationship conflict, and social skills deficit. Tying into the importance of having good social support and a network in the community.
1: Mm. Couple therapy is in the same vein as interpersonal therapy. It's useful if relationships are an issue.
0: And that's sort of most, if not all, the psychotherapies that we would use for depression.
1: Mm. So if psychosocial interventions don't work, or if you think the patient has moderate or severe depression, you can think about antidepressants.
0: Yeah, and ultimately, antidepressants are a form of symptom relief. And you can imagine if the social stressors are still present, and the person does not know how to cope with it, they wouldn't really recover from it.
1: Hmm. Antidepressants, regardless of the drug class, are thought to work by increasing the concentration of monoamines in the nerve synapses. Monoamines such as noradrenaline, serotonin, and dopamine.
0: The drug classes that we have that are currently favoured are SSRIs, which stands for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors, SNRIs, or Serotonin Noradrenaline Reuptake Inhibitors, thirdly, the old-school stuff, such as TCAs, tricyclic antidepressants, and monoamine oxidase inhibitors, or MAOIs. But you also have other medications that don't fit into any categories, such as agomelatin, mirtazapine, and brupapion.
1: We are going to cover the several drug types, including examples from the classes, why we use them and the side effect profiles. Starting off with the class that you most commonly see and the current first line medication, that would be selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs. In a perfect world, all drug
0: types would have common prefixes to suffixes, so we wouldn't have to remember so many individual drug names. But this is not a perfect world, so onward we go. Some examples would be citalopram, escitalopram, fluoxetine, paroxetine, and sertraline. And as I said, there isn't very much link in in terms of remembering the drug names.
1: Unfortunate. Um, Yeah, so such SSRIs inhibit the reuptake of serotonin in the synapses, overall increasing the serotonin levels and improving one's mood.
0: Only problem is... By definition of the name, it is sort of selective, but not selective enough. And so serotonin levels are, increases, are increased in areas we don't want, leading to side effects. The common side effects would be divided into three Bs. Bowel stuff, brain stuff, and ball stuff, as in testicles.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> serotonin leads to reduced appetite, weight loss, diarrhea, and nausea or vomiting. Bowel stuff. Brain stuff, so head and autonomic side effects include headaches, sweating, dizziness, insomnia, blurred vision.
0: Mm -hmm. And last and definitely not least, ball stuff or sexual dysfunction. The rarer but more serious side effects include GI bleeding, hyponatremia or decreased sodium levels, and serotonin syndrome.
1: Serotonin syndrome is caused by excess serotonin in the system, and as you can imagine, it's all the side effects, but a lot more severe. This can be seen usually in patients taking another antidepressant, such as MAOIs.
0: Just call them Maui's, Maui. It's easy.
1: It sounds <laughs> sounds a bit too much like me.
0: Yeah, fair enough. This is a very, it's very cute. It's a very cute Uh, nickname, I think. Anyways... Patients might present with high body temperature, agitation, increased reflexes, tremor, sweating, dilated pupils, and diarrhea. If left untreated, this can also lead to seizures and muscle breakdown. If you ever see these, get them to a and or intensive care at ASAP. And if available, administer cyproheptadine, which is a serotonin antagonist as well as manage the symptoms or the autonomic instability, which is usually via intensive care.
1: Right. Another thing to note with antidepressants is that there is a slight increase in the risk of suicide when you start taking them.
0: This might come as a surprise to most people, but one explanation for this is that the increased serotonin levels lead to quicker changes in the body physically than the mind. So you still have the negative thoughts like suicide but you now feel much more alert and agitated. In other words, you now have the energy to act on such thoughts, which might include ending your life.
1: Hmm. Lastly, SSRIs are inhibitors of cytochrome P450 enzymes, and effects are mostly dose-related. That means that some other medications taken may be broken down more slowly, and hence have greater effects or side effects.
0: So it may be worth eyeballing the BNF, or the British National Formulary, and identifying possible interactions before prescribing them.
1: Ooh, actually, could we say something about St. John's Wort?
0: Go for it, my sibling from another set of parents.
1: (laughs) So St. John's Wort has been shown in clinical trials to be effective in mild depression. However, the formulations sort of vary a lot. And as an enzyme inducer, it can mess with other drugs that you may be taking, such as the contraceptive pill. Uh,
0: When good old St. John's wort induces an enzyme, that means that drugs are metabolized quicker in the body. So most patients would have to be on a higher dose of drugs to reach normal levels. If they suddenly stop taking St. John's wort, but continue with the same drug doses, this can lead to toxicity. And so you got to watch out for herbal remedies and their interactions with medications.
1: So that's SSRIs. SNRIs, such as venlafaxine and duloxetine. more or less have the same side effect profiles as SSRIs, but with the added problems of constipation and metabolic stuff, such as hypertension or high cholesterol.
0: Ooh, 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 ooh. I also want to talk about NASA. No.
1: The space guys.
0: No, the noradrenaline and specific serotonin antidepressant, N-A-S-S-A, NASA, like mirtazapine. This increases both noradrenaline and serotonin levels. And unlike SSRIs and SNRIs, which are more alerting and causes weight loss, mirtazapine is used for its opposite effect, which is sedation, feeling more sleepy throughout the day, and weight gain. This is especially useful if the patient has insomnia and or
1: poor appetite. Is that a secret trick to feed patients food?
0: Uh, I wouldn't call it a secret trick, but like antipsychotics, we sort of choose medications based on the side effect profile as well, because sometimes it is favorable.
1: No, that's a fair point. Um, Yeah, without going on a tangent, in diabetes, sometimes you choose the medications depending on the patient's weight as well. So yeah, fair point.
0: Yeah, nobody gives a shit about diabetes. This is all about the mental health, Maui. So, shut your face. Take, shut your mouth. We don't need to learn how to take care of our bodies here. It is all about the <laughs> mind.
1: I'm sorry. Now, let's move on to the old school stuff, the TCA's, tricyclic antidepressants, and the MAUI's, or the oxidase inhibitors. TCA's inhibit the reuptake of noradrenaline and serotonin, so effect-wise, it's quite similar to SNRIs. Examples of TCA's include amitriptyline, uh, imipramine, clomipramine, and duloxetine. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay <laughs> obviously obviously somebody
0: didn't read the script very well uh so let me let me let me say that for him examples of tricyclic antidepressants include amitriptyline imipramine clomipramine and dosulapine all right that's
1: the exact same stuff.
0: no you were stumbling on your words mine is superior and i am the best the end um so The main problems with tricyclic antidepressants would be the side effects, which are anticholinergic. So uh, we've talked about this for antipsychotics before. So dry mouth, can't pee, can't poo, constipation, blurred vision, hypertension. You also have sedation from the antihistamine effects. and, And one of the main reasons why we've stopped using them now, which is cardiotoxicity.
1: Yeah, so TCAs have class one antiarrhythmic properties, so slow down the ventricle contraction in essence, which can lead to heart blocks or ventricular arrhythmias.
0: So it is a bit riskier than our current first line. We sometimes use tricyclic antidepressants for several reasons. If they've been well on it, usually, you know, elderly patients, we tend to continue them. Uh, Tricyclic antidepressants also have a lower risk of sexual dysfunction. And sometimes that is a huge priority for sort of young patients. And they're also proven to be more effective than SSRIs in psychotic depression. Although this is still sort of a dealer's choice thing again.
1: Sure. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors unsurprisingly inhibit uh, monoamine oxidase. This is the enzyme that breaks down serotonin, dopamine, and noradrenaline. So inhibiting MAO means more monoamines. The side effects of MAUI's or MAO inhibitors are quite similar to TCA's with anticholinergic issues, sexual dysfunction.
0: Ball stuff.
1: Yes, ball stuff, uh, sedation, insomnia and headaches. The main problem with MAUI's is high blood pressure or hypertensive crises, which can be precipitated by consuming foods that increase the sympathetic activity. These would normally be broken down by MAO. Yep, there's a scene in the movie
0: Silence of the Lambs where Hannibal Lecter says, I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> and he's actually making a medical joke as these three things should not be eaten if you're an Amaui. I find it's a good way to remember some sort of the tyramine-rich foods which can't be broken down uh, by, you know, by the whole Silence of the Lambs quote. And, uh, and he's also my inspiration for becoming a psychiatrist. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so sometimes you may get patients who aren't sold on the antidepressants or tried it for a period of time and feel that they aren't working and so stop it for themselves. For every patient you start on an antidepressant, it is very, very crucial that you tell them there's a risk of antidepressant discontinuation syndrome if they abruptly stop it. This occurs within 24 hours of suddenly stopping the antidepressant, leading to anxiety, mood disturbances, gastrointestinal problems, dizziness, partial numbness, sleep disturbance, and a flu-like syndrome.
1: So if they decide to stop it, they can, but with medical assistance and reducing the dose over a few weeks.
0: Quite often with antidepressants, I feel that patients aren't given enough information on side effects or the do's and don'ts when taking them, leading to unexpected problems and an increased rate of discontinuation. While it seems like a pain to explain things in detail for every patient that comes in, I think it's definitely worth it for the long run.
1: Something that I would like to add on is that there is sometimes a chance that a patient has undiagnosed bipolar disorder but is actually presenting with a first episode of depression instead.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. In this situation, antidepressants may not work and would be risky as it can push people with bipolar into mania. Mood stabilizers would be the way to go to manage their depression, but we will cover this in our bipolar disorder episode, which is most likely the next one.
1: So we've covered the psychological and the pharmacological treatments. What about the physical interventions? Starting off with the basic stuff that ties in also with
0: CBT would be exercise. So aerobic exercise in particular has been shown to have positive effects on mood. So stuff like jogging or things that aren't sort of as intense. I myself have tried twerk Zumba and this has done wonders for not only my mood, but also my butt and my girlfriend's mood.
1: Is that the thing that you're trying to get others to join? How many people actually turned up?
0: Like most of my events and bedroom time, it was a solo performance, unfortunately. Oh no. But I twerked like I owed money, and that's the important thing.
1: Oh. Now, I find light therapy kind of interesting, which is a sort of biological treatment, I guess. There is a kind of depression called seasonal affective disorder. Which has
0: the acronym S.A.D., which really makes my day. Sure. Sure.
1: A lack of sunlight, especially during winter, is thought to lead to depression in some.
0: Light therapy involves sitting near a special lamp called a light box for about 30 minutes to an hour every day, and it's thought that mimicking morning daylight would help increase serotonin levels in some patients. Now, we go on to the fun, controversial stuff. It's shocky shock time with electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT. Electroconvulsive therapy seems scary, and the movie "One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest" has sort of demonized the procedure, but it is actually a very valid, effective, and humane procedure.
1: Exactly, what this involves is an patients and inducing, in essence, a controlled generalized seizure in the brain. If any listeners interested, unlike SSRIs, ECT is thought to exert its effects by increasing the number of postsynaptic serotonin receptors. Nerd. Uh, ECT is
0: indicated in severe depression, where you need a quick response, such as life-threatening states, such as dehydration, physical complications, stupor, or suicidal behavior, as well as postpartum depression.
1: Additionally, we also use it in the treatment of treatment-resistant depression, which we will cover in a bit. But Maoli, how can
0: it be treatment in treatment-resistant depression if it is a treatment? (laughs) <laughs> Would the depression not have resisted it? <laughs> I guess we'll find out in a bit. <laughs> cool stuff, cool stuff. Alright, next up we have TCMS, or Transcranial magnetic Stimulation. I view this as sort of a milder form of ECT. You know, the free trial before you make a Pornhub subscription or something like that. Um, tr- TCMS uses a strong and rapidly changing magnetic field to stimulate electrical activity in neurons. Early results suggest that it is effective compared to a sham procedure and induces neurochemical changes similar to
1: ECT. Although it's about as equally effective as antidepressants, but more costly and requires several more sessions.
0: Yeah, so it's maybe not the breakthrough that we're looking for as of yet, But it is an interesting field of research, and I'm quite excited to see what comes up
1: next. Mm. Now, we come to the treatment pathways. Where should one start? Mild, moderate, and severe depression are differentiated by the number of symptoms that they have. In mild to moderate depression, patients are usually treated in primary care with psychosocial interventions as first-line. If that doesn't work, then first-line antidepressants such as SSRIs are considered. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. A proper discussion about the risk and benefits of SSRIs need to happen. Find out about their risk of overdose or attempted suicide and if if there is a potential risk, then limit the supply and try to avoid tricyclic antidepressants which are more dangerous in an overdose. Discuss the potential side effects to keep the patient well informed and improve adherence. Some patients may prefer one side effect profile to another.
1: Exactly. For example, if they operate machinery or drive, don't give a sedative drug. Warn them that drinking alcohol with SSRIs might worsen the sedative effect. And especially for people taking heart to epilepsy meds to review the interaction with other drugs before prescribing them. The SSRI that you usually go for in individuals who've got a history of ischemic heart disease would be something like sertraline.
0: Also, some patients are worried that they are addictive. Assure them that it's not. Advise them that antidepressants aren't an instant fix and are more symptom control than anything else.
1: There's also this old notion that antidepressants don't exert their effects until about two to four weeks. But actually, studies have shown that you can start seeing improvements within one to two weeks.
0: Yeah, and I was quite shocked as well because I think you might remember this, but this was something that was sort of driven into us from when we were medical students at uni that, you know, SSRIs take some time to work. I only sort of found out recently this year, looking at the newest edition of the Maudsley, I was going to (laughs) say Maudley, Freudian slip, um, at the Maudsley prescribing guidelines, uh, the latest edition, where they did mention that, no, there are many studies that show that antidepressants should start working within within sort of one to two weeks and most of the time you see maximal improvement within the first week Hmm. and and it's sort of a good benchmark as well because you can see that within two weeks if there's absolutely no response at all there is a very good chance that increasing the dose wouldn't do anything and so you could save the time and then maybe switch it to a different ssri right all right so you start a patient on an ssri after this you should assess them you know, after two to three weeks to see how effective it is. If it is effective, you should continue it for at least six to nine months after recovery, or even longer term if they have recurrent episodes of depression. If it's ineffective, increase the dose and reassess, or switch to a different antidepressant.
1: Some people recommend switching to a different class. So from a SSRI to an SNRI, but there's no hard or fast rule for this. If that still doesn't work, the third antidepressant choice would have to be either metazapine, agomelatine, which increases melatonin and serotonin, or um, riboxetine, a serotonin modulator. This is just a fancy way of saying that it's an agonist at some receptors, but an antagonist at others.
0: Yep, and if that doesn't work, you have reached treatment-resistant depression territory. So in treatment-resistant depression, there's a practical study called STAR-D, S-T-A-R-D, which has really been helpful in making treatment decisions on resistant depression. Have a little Google of it and take a look, but make sure you keep your safe search on in case someone's decided to use it as their porn star name, <laughs> because it is, it is a pretty good oh. porn star name, STAR-D. <sighs> Um, some of the options include augmenting with lithium or leothyronine, which is the active um, hormone for thyroid, as well as adding on an antipsychotic, such as cotyapine, aripiprazole, or lanzapine. Or using dual antidepressants, which is usually an SSRI, plus either venlafaxine, mirtazapine, or a particular tricyclic antidepressant, mienserine. And last but not least, you have ECT.
1: Another thing to consider is that in psychotic depression, antidepressants alone don't usually do the trick, and TCAs are more effective in these cases. What works best is a combination of antidepressant and antipsychotic.
0: While all the medical management is still going on, don't forget that the other stuff such as social stressors and psychological interventions are still equally important. So. Moving on to prognosis, about half of patients will have a subsequent episode of depression. And psychotic depression has a 75% readmission rate.
1: Though treatment can reduce the duration of depressive episodes from about 9 months to about 2-3 to months. But suicide rates are high and about 1 in 10 clinically depressed people take their own lives.
0: Yep, so it's definitely worth staying vigilant and watching out. these warning signs and that cheerful note about wraps up this episode to recap the key points make sure you buy gamestop shares as short squeeze will likely happen soon no no come on dude fine 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 okay for clinical depression remember the three core symptoms low mood low energy and anhedonia which is the loss of pleasure in pleasurable things Suicide risks are always important, and when starting treatment, you use psychological therapies for mild, for mild depression and work your way up to medications or physical interventions such as ECT or transcranial magnetic stimulation. SSRIs are first line, but you can tailor your choices based on side effects, and explaining the effects of medication in detail would help improve patient compliance. Once you have tried three different antidepressants that are ineffective, you've reached treatment-resistant depression, where the choices would include the addition of lithium, leothyronine, which is a thyroid hormone, and antipsychotic, or the use of dual antidepressants.
1: Thank you, and thank you for listening, if you've made it this far. As always, we would love to hear from you.
0: Yep, message us on Twitter at PhiPodcast. like us on Facebook at scifipodcast. Or email us at questions4pp at gmail.com. That's the number four and double letter P's at gmail.com.
1: Let us know if you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for upcoming episodes. We look forward to meeting in our next episode in about two weeks' time.
0: I'm going to be honest, the next episode may be delayed as I need to climb up the ranking leaderboards for League of Legends. Um, As as always, don't forget to subscribe. And thanks to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music.
1: Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and stay well.
0: And I know I sound like a broken record, but eat the damn Malaysian food. If you like the spicy stuff, laksa noodles is a must. And on that note, uh, take care, guys. Bye. Bye.